This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Today I have the pleasure of having Dr. Colin Croning visiting the podcast for a second time. In the first conversation we had about two years ago, we explored Colum's work, first in relation to phenomenology and sport coaching, and then moved to explore ideas around caring and care theory in coaching. Since that conversation, the work on caring coaching has evolved a lot, and it's taken many new directions, both in the work that Colum has done himself, as well as other researchers who have been picking up and working on the concept. So today we explore these new developments, including Colum's project on caring for coaches. And to briefly introduce my guest today, Dr. Colum Cronin is a senior lecturer in sport coaching and physical education at Liverpool John Walls University. He has published widely, typically using qualitative methodologies, and serves as an associate editor for Sport Coaching Review. Welcome, Colum. It's so nice to see you again, and thanks for taking the time for our conversation. Hi, Nora. Thanks for uh, inviting me back uh, for a second um, update on care research and where we are with that in terms of coaching. Yeah, it's been very exciting to follow follow the developments, and a lot has been happening. And so should you just... First, give us a bit of an update. I think we did the episode sometime late summer, early autumn in 2020. And you've been very productive. And as I mentioned in the introduction, other um, like new collaborations and also other researchers have been working with the with the concept. So just share us a few things that happened uh, since we last spoke. Yeah, since we last spoke, um, we have two projects. Uh, so just to set the scene, uh, when we last spoke, uh, at that point, I think care research and coaching was really exploring this idea that caring relationships um, might add value to coaching and coaching might actually involve caring relationships. Uh, the idea being that uh, a coach might act as a carer, uh, might come to understand the needs of the athlete, might work with the athlete to address those needs as part of a relationship, a reciprocal relationship where both parties contribute uh, to helping somebody to flourish in terms of their maybe well-being, but also thrive in terms of their performance. So so this is not just a nice moral thing to do. It's also uh, potentially a pedagogical and a performance-enhancing relationship. And at that point, what we had was we had a bit of research from coaches describing this, coaches describing how they would meet with athletes in coffee shops or on buses or on planes or hotels 
Um, they would uh, listen to the athletes, understand the needs, and together develop a plan to proceed and progress to help an athlete to flourish and thrive. Um, we also had some surveys of coaches. So I'm thinking here of Leslie Fisher's work and colleagues in the United States who had done surveys of U.S. college coaches. And again, they had asked coaches, uh, how do you develop relationships? How do you care for players? And those coaches described things like creating a family atmosphere and having, you know, Friday night dinner as a team. And again, you can, you can understand how, you know, college athletes away from home for the first time, 18, 19, 20 years of age, they might need a kind of surrogate type family type atmosphere and then a coach would act on that need by organizing those dinners and uh, and things like that so we have sir at that point we had surveys from coaches we have interviews from coaches describing how uh, they cared about athletes uh, but also cared for them now to progress that research we kind of looked critically at that and we said well actually you know what when we ask coaches how they care guess what they tell us how they care but maybe we need to be a bit more critical of that. And maybe we also need to get the other part of that relationship, which is the athlete, uh, if it is a genuine relationship. So for the last two years, I've kind of been trying to progress this research in two areas. The first is to develop a suite of articles, really, as part of a special issue for Sports Coaching Review, where we actually understand what athletes see as care. And philosophically, that's really important because if it's just a coach saying what is care, then the athlete feels almost controlled and the athlete doesn't have a say. We're not respecting their voice, their humanity. So it's important that the athlete gets to determine what is care for them and what their needs are so that we respect their their rights and voices and, and their knowledge as well and understanding of themselves. Uh, and that's that was missing in the research. Um, so we spent some time trying to get those athletes' voices. Uh, the other project, though, we've had is uh, is uh, looking at the coaches then and saying, well, okay, we up until this point, we've looked at the coach as a carer, so somebody who's providing care. But we also know the coaches experience burnout, experience me- mental ill health. We know that coach retention is a big issue. Lots of coaches come in and leave. Um, short-term, precarious Uh, careers precarious work so you know we also thought hang on a minute we're asking these coaches to do this caring labor to invest time in relationships to listen to understand to meet athletes needs well who's looking out for the coach and how are the coach caring for themselves so that's the second project we've kind of been working on since that, you know, um, last episode early in the pandemic. The first was what are the athletes' views? And then the second ones was to look at the coach, not as just a caregiver, but also maybe as somebody who has needs themselves and what those needs might be. Uh, I don't know if that gives you a picture of where we've been uh, prior to our last episode, but also what we've tried to be doing since. Yeah, absolutely. That gives a really nice... Really nice overview, and we can touch upon these both perspectives as well. Before we go into this, I'm thinking we have our previous episode, and you discuss care theory in the, in that episode. But we shouldn't assume that everybody has listened to the episode, so we can do maybe a little bit more uh, brief introduction into what is this concept of caring. 
Well, I suppose, first of all, I think everybody probably has listened to that last episode. I mean, you're a very popular podcast now, Nora. You've got a massive listenership. Uh, but just in case there's somebody out there who, who, who missed Nora's previous podcast, um, in sport, the main theory that's been used to understand care has been Nell Nodding's theory. Uh, so Nell Nodding's is kind of a philosopher of education, her work was rooted in feminist philosophy and not related to sport. It's probably been used more in education. It's been used more in nursing and in social work. But I can understand why people have used Nell Nodding's work uh, as the main theory to look at um, because we have positioned coaching as a pedagogical activity and therefore it's, it, it, it's not a sure, uh, not a big jump to go from, well, if Coaching is a pedagogical activity where we're trying to help people to learn, we're trying to educate them for challenges that come in the future. Well, how do we use research to inform that? And then we look to the educational and pedagogical literature, which takes us to noddings. There are other care theorists out there that do adopt different uh, approaches, but I don't think they've really been used in sport. So noddings is the one that's previously been used. And for Noddings, then, caring is a relationship between two people, a carer, cared for, coach, athlete, what we would argue here. Um, but that relationship is focused on meeting the needs. And I think that's the first thing that people probably might uh, struggle to understand is that it's not about meeting the wants of an individual. It's about meeting the needs of an individual. Noddings talks about needs as being wants that are stable. So a want that lasts a long time, not just the fleeting, oh, I would like an ice cream at the moment. Coach, can you get me an ice cream? Well, no, you know, uh, that's a want that's not a need, but or a want that's very important. Uh, okay. Uh, a want that would have a desirable benefit. So again, an ice cream might not have a desirable benefit, but a nutritional plan to help you develop your performance might actually be a need that you have and will have a desirable benefit uh, for you as an athlete, for instance. So a want uh, that is stable, a want that is desirable, also a want that is within the capacity of the carer to give. So, uh, you know, Again, we're not saying here that coaches need to do things which are outside their professional expertise or outside their scope of practice or outside their limitations. In those instances, the coach might have to refer an athlete to somebody else for support or to some other area. So again, if it's a caring relationship, there's two people part of that. We've got to look at the skills, expertise and capacity of the coach to meet those needs as well. And ultimately, if it's a relationship, it's a want that the athlete is also willing to contribute to. So again, let's say a nutritional plan to help somebody improve their performance over the next six months or six weeks, let's say. Well, what is the athlete willing to do to contribute to developing that need for improved nutrition? Um, so are they willing to you know, meet with the nutritionist? Are they willing to do a different shop? Are they willing to cook differently and learn skills? Um, so are they, um, so a need is something that the athlete is also willing to contribute to if it's part of a caring relationship because the athlete is part of that relationship. So it's not just a coach being servile. Uh, it's an athlete also contributing to that as well. Um, um, how coaches might do that then? Noddings talks about engrossment. And engrossment is this idea of not just paying a little bit of attention, but providing sustained attention. So that might be, you know, 
um, purposeful observation that might be listening to an athlete so they can express their needs. It might be understanding the needs of an athlete by looking at the research, you know, and saying, well, what does the research say athletes need? But then it would also be, as I said, listening to, engaging in dialogue to understand those athletes' needs. And that dialogue then provides a basis for two people to direct their motivation towards actioning those needs. So a caring relationship is based on engrossment and it's kind of facilitated to dialogue, but it ultimately involves both parties working together to meet that needs. If it's just one party working towards that, then it's either controlling, the coach controlling the athlete, or it's the athlete not necessarily being cared for, the coaches and meeting their needs. So it's both parties working together based on that engrossment, based on dialogue. And I'm thinking just the conversations I've had around like meaningful work and purpose, whether it's in sport coaching or other contexts. And typically you would talk about this personal growth type of meaning and purpose. And then you have the other oriented, somehow making the world better, helping others, the more altruistic type of purpose. So would this caring idea is then maybe mapping more towards this more altruistic and being there for others type of meaning or purpose in work yeah i think i think initially if we went back to nodding's early work it 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 probably would map to more of a, a moral rationale um that actually caring relationships are inherently good uh helping people to flourish and, uh, and thrive in their own worlds and, and their own ambitions there's an altruistic aim there but Nottings was also really clear, and this is where the feminist uh, approach comes in, is that that work has often been undervalued. And again, if we think of you know care, we think of, let's say, for example, um, uh, kindergarten or nursery school teachers as nice and warm and caring. Well, that work's often performed by women, and it's often uh, poorly paid in compared to secondary or high school teachers. If, we, again, we think in healthcare, for instance, we might have social care, we might have nursing, we might have healthcare assistance. Again, that work is often performed by women. And again, it's often undervalued financially um, compared to doctors or surgeons, for instance. So Nottings made an argument that actually we tend to uh, undervalue nurturing care. We tend to undervalue that moral labor. And, and, and she would argue that it's the right thing to do but it's also really important because how people learn how to to be how how to flourish how to, how to care themselves how to become carers is through being part of those relationships so Nottings would argue that yes it's the right thing to do from a moral moral perspective but also it might actually be the right thing to do uh, it should be rewarded it should be valued but also she would argue that actually it's the right thing to do from a pedagogical perspective. So her argument was really is that, you know, we can probably all think about somebody who cared for us. That might be a coach, that might be a mentor, a sibling, a parent, or aunt and uncle, a, a, an employee, employer, who invested time in us, saw something, helped us, challenged us, because that's what we might have needed at that time, supported us at other times. And that actually we've learned our skills and our knowledge as part of those relationships. 
So not only is it the right thing to do, but having somebody observe you, engage in dialogue with you, challenge you and support you is also a way to upskill yourself and to learn. So it's not just a moral, uh, ethical thing to do. It's also a pedagogical and a performance enhancing thing to do. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that fits in that it is meaningful in the sense of, you know, morality and ethics but it's maybe also meaningful in terms of if you, if you authentically want to develop athletes or basketball players or dancers well actually investing in relationships with those people caring for them having dialogue with them is a more authentic way to help them thrive as dancers basketball players athletes mm-hmm. and in a sense if you want to be a good coach who is developing good athletes while learning new skills and they are also performing well in sport, then caring is also from that perspective something that is then clearly worthwhile. Yeah. Y- yes, and I, and I think lots of coaches are probably doing this. You know, those coaches who are are authentically trying to develop athletes and are committed to that, they probably are out there on a Tuesday night or a Sunday morning observing, you know, watching which athlete arrives at the track or the pitch looking nervous who's arrived late looking flustered and under pressure. Okay, well, what do I need to do now to meet those needs? So coaches are probably out there doing this. Not all of them, unfortunately, but there's probably lots of them out there. And actually, we've probably all had a coach at some point who's done that for us, kept an eye on us, sat us down, had a chat, listened to us, put something in place. That might be a challenge, by the way. That might be a tough session, by the way. That might be raising expectations, or it might be a bit of support as well to help us. So again, I think we've probably all had somebody who's invested time uh, observing and supporting us. Yeah, so this perspective, what you mentioned, this is also what was being explored already as we last spoke. How are the coaches caring for athletes? And so the second direction you mentioned where you then went towards and what I think is really important then looking at who is caring for the coaches. And we know that the position of a coach is also quite challenging. There is pressure, often the work-life balance issues, depending on the performance level in in high-performance sport, the position of the coach is highly precarious, loads of stress and pressure and so forth. So maybe we spend the next uh, some time exploring this caring for coaches. So how have you actually worked with it and, and what does your project look like so far? Yeah, so as you say, we, you know, we spend some time arguing that coaches uh, are often caring and that we need to acknowledge that. So this is often happening, but it's not often being valued. It goes back to Nodding's, you know, the nurturing care is overlooked. In, in, uh, at the expense of other uh, forms of work. So we've tried to kind of make it explicit that care is a part of coaching. And in doing so, we've then challenged coaches, you know, can you be better at observation? Are you meeting the needs? Have you organized dialogue? Uh, and in lots of cases, coaches are doing that. But in other cases, this is extra labor for them. And even if they are doing it, it's a form of work to listen to athletes, to organize individual meetings, to, you know, you know, make sure you sit next to different people on a bus so that you can listen to them and develop a relationship with them. That's, you know, that's a form of work, you know, an athlete, a coach once told me, you know, that she, um, she looked at her athlete's training diaries on a Sunday night 
and she so the athletes would reflect on the week's training and then on a Sunday night she would sit down and go through all the diaries for two, three, four hours and she would adjust the plan based on how the athletes were feeling and, and what they were writing in their diaries. But she would do that on a Sunday night and she felt very guilty because she wasn't spending Sunday night with her children and she wasn't cooking Sunday night dinner for her children. So, you know, this is often labor that's happening in unsociable hours. It takes time. And on top of that, as you said, care is just one part of the coach's roles. They also have to manage micropolitics between them and their staff, them and the opposition, them and uh, parents or between parents or between management and or- of organizations, for instance. So you got micropolitics. Um, you also have to have a range of knowledges. So that might be physiology, psychology, you know, biomechanics, sports specific knowledge, technical and tactical knowledge. There's a lot of performance analysis. So you're isolated in a room watching video, that type of thing. Uh, and you're doing this in all unsociable hours. And depending on your sport, that can often be voluntary or part-time. Um, so you're doing multiple roles, managing multiple relationships. And you're also trying to put on a front of control because you want to appear in control and confident. Um, so you put on this almost Goffmanian front that you are in control and that then generates a, a collective sense of efficacy because the coach knows what's happening, whereas actually behind the stage, you know, you're orchestrating and barely keeping things organized most of the time. Um, and even that putting on a front is emotional labor again that you're having to invest in. And, and, and then you get home and, you know, family life or, well, actually, you know, can you come to this play or can you go to this and you missed this last weekend it's because you're doing this working on sociable hours so coaches have a lot on their plates and it's not surprising then that you know we see coaches leave the profession it's not surprising that coaches experience depression burnout and and languish a little bit in their careers in terms of performance maybe but also in terms of their own well-being because it is um you know, a multidisciplinary, multifaceted labor, which is often overlooked and not necessarily rewarded. Yeah. So in that scenario, then coaches, you know, it's it's not surprising that, you know, some coaches will struggle. I don't know if you recognize that uh, picture, uh, Nora, from, you know, your own work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's such a balance for many of them in terms of work and family and the insecurity in terms of what happens next year with my contract and so forth so clearly and not knowing who are your friends and who are your rivals sometimes i guess in in big clubs as well yeah that's that's really interesting that precariousness and who's a community that i can trust and and again that takes you back to putting on a a front so how will i appear to these people and um do i have a an authentically trusting relationship with them for instance uh, so yeah managing that moving between those micropolitics that's again more labor that they have to deal with and take on board which is far beyond just technical and tactical preparation of an athlete for instance you know or a team so with that in mind then we started to begin to look at at the care for the coaches and we were prompted really by our partners in this which is a uh, uk coaching so 
For your listeners, UK Coaching is a charity based in the UK, which is focused on meeting the needs of coaches, really. Their, their, their mission statement or tagline really is uh, that they are there for the coach and to support the coach. And if I just maybe provide a bit of background on that for, for the listeners, because as I said, they're based in the UK, so not everybody might be aware of what's been happening. But I think in 2017, there was a report undertaken by Tani Gray Thompson, who is a Paralympic athlete, uh, or has been a Paralympic athlete. She's also a member of the House of Lords here in the UK. And she undertook a duty of care report in the UK. So that that um that duty of care really was in response to some scandals around athletes. So if I jump back from the coach a second just to set the scene here, uh, there was scandals of bullying, scandals of sexual abuse, uh, other forms of abuse across a range of sports in the UK. Um, some of it historic. Uh, but not all of it. And she undertook a report there. Um, and basically, in part of that report, she made uh, some recommendations, some of which have been implemented, but some haven't. But also, she really broadened the idea of care and said that actually, if we're really caring for people, our sport will be inclusive, our sport will be safe, our sport will help help people not just to be safe and not be harmed, our sport will actually help people to thrive. So she was really broadening uh, the definition of duty of care from um, moving beyond non-malevolence, moving beyond don't harm, to actually do good. UK coaching then said, well, okay, well, coaches are in a powerful position in the lives of athletes. If we want our athletes to have care in a broader sense, then we need to educate our coaches. So over the last kind of four years, they put together some workshops to educate coaches across those areas. So diversity, inclusion, health and safety, and trying to broaden this idea and say, actually, look, we don't want you just to not harm athletes. We absolutely want you not to harm athletes, but we also want you to make sport an inclusive space for them. We also want the, you to be able to welcome diverse um, uh, athletes in. We want you to make it a caring space where they've got a great relationship. So we've had that broadening of duty of care. And in UK coaching, as I said, developed some workshops around that and resources around that to help and educate coaches around that. But then two or three years down the line, they're thinking, well, hang on a minute. We're doing a better job now of helping coaches to care for athletes. But we are giving the coaches more aspirational work. Now, it's not just about not harming. You've got to actually help. So we're, we are putting more labor, more aspirations um, on coaches and, and who is co- caring for the coach. So they kind of, um, they were, were also switching from the coach as a carer to recognizing the needs of the coach. And that's their primary focus is the coach itself. So together, we've been working on this Care for Coaches projects. Uh, and I hope you can kind of see how we moved from athlete scandals to okay the coach has to be a positive influence to okay how do we support the coach to be the positive influence i hope that gives you kind of the background there nora yeah absolutely and um but maybe just then give us a little sense in a brief sense in terms of what your project has then looked like 
Yeah, so with, with colleagues then, uh, Liverpool John Moores and also colleague at uh, Leedsbeck University, Fiki Rongen, and with UK Coaching, we've done some empirical work uh, around survey using surveys and also some interviews of coaches, really to try to understand kind of how cared for do coaches feel at the moment, um, to understand what needs they might have, but to also capture examples of when those needs have been met and when those needs have not been met. Because as I say, some of this care work is already happening out there. It's just not necessarily recognized, acknowledged, valued, rewarded. Um, it goes back to that idea that caring is often overlooked. So there are people out there caring for coaches in some instances. And again, we wanted to capture those examples of how coaches have been cared for, how when coaches, when care has been absent as well, but also what are those needs and how well do coaches cared for at the moment? Um, so, yeah, these were kind of our ambitions and our approach to it. Excellent. Let's look at the details in the second part of the conversation. So I think we've been able to cover these ideas around caring quite well now and get an overview of, of the different things you're doing. So we'll finish up for the first part. In the second part, we go to the details of the care for coaches, as well as talk about the athlete perspectives as well. So thanks for the conversation so far. No problem. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.